time enough at last. Submitted for your consideration to sci-fi fans, Sean Majors and Keith Conrad. Rewatch The Twilight Zone from beginning to end. It's like something out of that Twilighty show about that zone. The note that this man is carrying across a club room is in the form of a proposed wager. But it's the kind of wager that comes without precedent. It stands alone in the annals of bet-making as the strangest game of chance ever offered by one man to another. In just a moment, we'll see the terms of the wager and what young Mr. Tennyson does about it. And in the process, we'll witness all parties spin a wheel of chance in a very bizarre casino called the Twilight Zone. Episode number 61 of The Twilight Zone was The Silence. And, uh, yeah, Sean, it's a little hard to uh, <laughs> play silence in a podcast, but we'll we'll try our best. We'll do our best. And uh, this one involves, uh, I, you know, I noticed there's a, a number of different Twilight Zone episodes that involve gentlemen's clubs. How, yeah, how ubiquitous were gentlemen's clubs in the, in the 50s and 60s? And, and when we say gentlemen's clubs, we mean uh, uh, rich people gathered around playing cards, not, uh, not uh, you know, not strip clubs or something. And gentlemen very rarely go into either one of them. So there it is. It's, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, th- this particular one, I mean, actually, I, I think it's back there in this one. So I guess it's actually not that pervasive in the twilight zone uh it, i feel like two. i mean that it's one out of every 30 that, that's that seems a lot oh yeah i am thinking of back there yeah yeah um i guess it's a good staging area for uh for a uh a wager not heard around the world yeah l- listen rich people placing gigantic bets on dumb things where else is it gonna happen <laughs> Only in a gentleman's club. Uh, so so basically our story revolves around two people. There's uh, Colonel Taylor. I'm not, I'm not sure if he has a, uh, has a first name or not, but he's, uh, he's uh, Colonel Taylor. He's uh, presumably very wealthy and um, uh, very annoyed with uh, another member of uh, said club, uh, Mr. Tennyson. And uh, ba- basically this is a guy who just – in Tennyson just never stops talking. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, when we're introduced to him, he's just going on and on. And you can tell everybody's a little annoyed by him. Uh, he just won't shut up. He's like, uh, he's like, uh, um, you know, I, I was going to say, he's like the, the guy that ends up needing the, uh, the love potion. He, he, he reminds yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. I think we've all known a, uh, a Tennyson or two in our lives and uh, probably do our best just to, um, <laughs> You know, I, listen, listen, I work with a Tennyson or two. In my life. <laughs> I, you know, that, that, oh, my God. The um, I guess if you really you got to really love that gentleman's club, just not to to continue to show up, even though Tennyson is there. That's true. That that shows that uh, they must. I mean, really, the, the food there must be excellent or <laughs> You know, everybody else, you know, maybe they they draw the short straw and they're the person who has to listen to tennis. And I'm not, I'm not sure, not sure how they how they do that. But but yeah, there's got to be something there that, that keeps them coming. I mean, surely there has there has to be another gentleman's club that uh, the colonel can uh, can find that uh, doesn't have Jamie Tennyson uh, follow him around. Uh, 
You would think so. So, he's, Or maybe this is the third one that Tennyson has, has followed him to. Who knows? Maybe he keeps following him around because he thinks he's uh, he's such a good friend. Uh, <laughs> so he's... Uh, so the colonel there, he's talking to his uh, his friend, the doctor uh, from uh, from Lost in Space, on uh, yes. on another Twilight Zone episode. Uh, I, I think his name is George, if I remember correctly, from this particular episode. There aren't yeah. a whole lot of names. I mean, the names aren't really important in this. One. No, no. There's a silent guy and rich guy. I- exactly. That that's pretty much all we need to know. And everybody else. And uh, so. So Dr. Smith arrives and uh, apparently he sent him some sort of uh, some sort of note explaining that he wants to uh, bet Tennyson that he can't stay quiet for an entire year. They, they don't actually say it. They sort of talk around it uh, un- until uh, till he actually unveils it to Tennyson himself. Uh, George does not seem to think that it's a great idea. Uh, tries to talk his, his friend out of it, but uh, Taylor's having none of it. And eventually he uh, he just, you know, rips the bandaid off and goes straight to, to Tennyson with the idea. And uh, so he bets him five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> that uh, he can't remain silent for an entire year. And I mean, just to put things in perspective, five hundred thousand dollars is a lot of money now. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm typing in five hundred thousand dollars and sixty one worth today. Uh, uh, almost $4 million. Actually, yeah, take, uh, 4.4. Yeah, okay, so, so there's question number one. If someone offers you $4 million, uh, will you stay quiet for a year? Sold. No. I, I mean, we recently talked about how much money you would really need in your life just to get like some interest-bearing account, like accounts going, yeah. and you'll never have to work a day in your life. $4.4 million is perfect. I mean, actually, if somebody gave me $500,000, I'd probably raise money. <laughs> I'd probably go ahead and, and Me too. take that. I mean, that, that could uh, that could get you down payment on a nice little life. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Which I guess we find out in a little bit why that sum is so uh, unusually high, uh, even even for now, uh, let alone, uh, gosh, uh, 80 or 60 years ago. Yeah. And uh, so, so Tennyson, uh, much to the surprise of the colonel, uh, actually accepts Sold. the offer as – you and I just discussed we would have, so I don't think anybody can blame him there. Uh, also, by the way, you know, in, in Tennis's defense, he doesn't think that he talks all the time. He just thinks he's a normal, uh, normal gadfly. I mean, people love what he has to say uh, in his point of view. So why not? Why stop a good thing? You know, exactly. So they they come up with a, they're rich enough that uh, the dude's able to build a small glass walled apartment in one day. Which, by the way, had to cost more than a, a half a million dollars. I would think so, unless like there's some bylaw in the in the gentleman's club, and, and maybe this is what we're assuming uh, in the story. There's there's some bylaw that if you want something, the club has to build it for you. I guess so. That's got to come at a premium, though, to get it done, like you said, in a day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter who's paying for it, whether it was uh, the colonel or the club. Like, this is this is what they kept Magneto in in the first X-Men movie. Yeah, I, I know that there was, a, uh, there was a time when I first moved back to Chicago where um, the Museum of Science and Industry uh-huh. decided – and I – decided that they were literally going to do this. <laughs> they were going to have a, a, um, a contest uh, where basically you'd audition and – you get to live in the museum. 
Mm. Okay. And basically during the day, you'd be an ambassador for the museum. You know, you'd, you'd have like a, a shift where you'd be working right. in the museum and everybody would get, get to, uh, but then when you, when you actually weren't on duty, you had a glass like apartment exactly like this in the middle of the museum of science and industry with a, a, a bedroom that was actually, you know, not in glass, but your living room was, was there so that everybody could walk by and look at the, and look at the person in the in the glass case, and, and I'm thinking it took them more than one day to put that together. I would imagine so. Why did it have to be glass? <laughs> I mean, I get you know, so people could, but if you're off duty, then wouldn't the museum be closed? Oh well, I mean, the whole thing was that. Oh no, no, no. So, so like you weren't on duty the whole time the museum was open. Like, the, oh, the, okay. The idea was that that she it, it ended up being a woman who uh, who won this thing and. The idea was that, you know, there were going to be times when she was just going to be sitting in her living room. Yeah. And in order to, you know, get the uh, get, get the 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 uh, the locals to come to the museum and see her like they had to have her on display somewhere. So they built her a glass living room to go along with her her little apartment. It sounds like that uh, that one performance artist who like. Ah, I can't remember her name. Anyway, we can continue. <laughs> but she was not only allowed uh, to talk, but encouraged to talk. Obviously, well, there you go. You, you could. Uh, there was an intercom, so you could talk to her, and and you know, just in case anybody's wondering, yes, I did apply for it. I didn't get it. <laughs> um, Man, that's got to be old by month twelve. <laughs> and, and it was it was literally when I first moved here, and my first thought, I, I kid you not, was well, I just signed a lease, so why am I going to want to live in the museum? <laughs> That that was the first thought that popped into my head. Yeah, and that sounds exactly like something I would do. <laughs> <laughs> Money down the drain, majors. It, it's like in uh, in Futurama, you know, because we haven't <laughs> had a Futurama reference in a while. I don't think uh, it's been a couple you know, weeks. But the one with the cast from Star Trek. Yes, and, and you know they're all going to you know the faraway island, faraway planet to to get away from uh, you know Earth, where Star Trek has been banned. <laughs> and everybody's boarding the ship and, and, you know, Shatner's like, Hey, you know, Leonard, why, why don't you come with us? And he says, I just signed a lease. And I can't walk away from that. Commitment. <laughs> and it was, that was the same thing. That was the only thing standing between me and being the person on display at the museum. <laughs> in Chicago. Well, if you're, if you're following in uh, Leonard Nimoy's footsteps, then you're, uh, you're not doing too much wrong. That that's true, yeah. But but it is like that that kept popping into my head as I'm watching this episode. Yeah, somebody actually volunteered to do that at the Museum of Science and Industry, and and you know, enough time's going to pass that they're going to do that again because oh, hundred percent. So somebody somebody who grew up watching this particular contest and and everything, they're going to be like, hey, we should do that again. It's going to happen again. It's only a matter of time. Uh, and, and I think that when they do it again, part of it should be you're not allowed to speak. I think that would be that would be a great addition to it. Yeah, there's got to be something that raises the stakes. So Tennyson moves into this little glass box in the basement, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know they they they, they have a nice uh, little little montage showing the the passage of time, and uh, occasionally uh, the colonel will check in on him, and and it it um, it, it, it begins to escalate pretty quickly like uh you know at first uh, he's kind of amused by the fact that uh that tennyson has made it as long as he has uh but then you, you know you can tell he's thinking i really don't want to have to write this check yeah so he starts uh 
you know, starts taunting him a little bit and uh, then, you know, starts spreading rumors about his wife, which I always wondered if that was actually true. Yeah. I mean, the fact that she never responds to his letters, uh, they never really kind of close that loop. And and by the way, that that has to be a somewhat awkward conversation for Tennyson to have had with his wife, because remember he moved in the next day. Yeah. He really has to go home from the from the club, go to his wife and say, "Hey, Probably tomorrow drunk. I'm this last box for a year. Uh, see you see you in three hundred sixty five days." Can't talk right now. No, it's done. It's done. I I, I shook his hand, honey. I, I yeah. no, it's done. The discussion's over. Yeah, and uh, one thing you know is a foreshadowing the uh, what, what's going to happen eventually. And Mm -hmm. and I'm sure most people have seen this episode, so we're not really spoiling anything. Uh, My my first observation about this is if I'm (laughs) going to do this bet, I'm going to to need to see the $500,000. Yes. Um, I thought you were talking about the other twist, uh, wherein the first thing I'm going to do is find a very fashionable scarf to wear the entire time. Yes, and we'll get into how all this fits into the story in just a moment, but, you know, just, just... I'm just putting it out there in the world before we get to the end of this story here. If I'm going into that bet, I'm going to ask to see the briefcase full of money. It's the first thing you learn in like elementary school when somebody dares, like I'll give you, I'll give you $2 to, you know, go jump off that bridge. Well, let me see the $2. Well, I know you're a, a year or two younger than me, but you know, in my day, we were still doing things for a quarter. <laughs> I was talking in uh, 2021 money, so oh, whatever, okay. <laughs> whatever the reverse is, you know. <laughs> uh, but but anyway, Tennyson does not uh, ask to see the money. Well, I, he does, but uh, the colonel refuses. And uh, the the one uh, great line is, I guess it's my courage against your credit. Yeah, I liked that a lot. Yeah, that was a good that one. Was a, that was a good one. Uh, so he agrees to do it, and and again he's locked in the box. Uh, Tennyson is is mocking him, uh, saying things about his wife. Blah blah blah. Uh, eventually, a few months passes pass, and uh, Tennyson, uh, you know, first he he offers him a thousand dollars to leave immediately, which, which by the way, that's a little insulting. Yeah, it's less than one percent. Yeah. Uh, then I, I think eventually it gets up to about 5,000, which, which still it's a yeah. little insulting. We're up to 1%. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's getting closer, but uh, it becomes a game of deal or no deal. <laughs> I think this is where Howie Mandel, which I'm choosing to believe that Howie Mandel created deal or no deal and not uh, an executive at NBC. Yeah. But and he wasn't just hired to do it. <laughs> He had this in his head since Bobby's world. Um, but yeah, I think like it, it, this, this might be where they just got the idea. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking they did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so, so the, um, so the other club members are, are not amused Mm-mm. and um, uh, they're, they're a little upset about the fact that, you know, Hey, why are you dragging uh, Tennyson's wife into this and you know I, I, I think Alfred the the lawyer slash Dr. Smith you know eventually he says you know he's he's already won this because you've just shown how much of a garbage person you yeah, are. Yeah becomes a monster. He's much more dignified but that's basically what he's saying. <laughs> and uh, 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 the colonel he he disagrees. <laughs> and I respectfully I disagree that I'm a monster and a garbage I, person. 
eventually we get to the end of um, the, the the year and um, te- tennis or uh, Taylor, the, the colonel, he's still, you know, sort of talking trash a little bit at the end, like up until the last minute. Oh, no, he's clearly, clearly not going to make it, Mm-mm. which, by the way, if you made it this long, <laughs> and, you know, at the very last minute, you lose it. That That's on you. Yeah, you stub um, your toe and you say, oh, shit, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably what would happen. Uh, so, so Tennyson eventually emerges from his glass cocoon. And uh, he, he basically just holds his hand out and says, hey, you know, yeah. give me money. Like uh, Stewie beating up uh, Brian. You know, <laughs> but where's my money? Of course, I understand that <laughs> reference. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, the colonel says, ba- basically, um, I'm broke. Yeah. And uh, so he doesn't have the, not only does he not have the $500,000, but he says that he would have had a hard time coming up with uh, 5000 or or 1000 for that matter. God. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, Tennyson is obviously uh, visibly upset, but he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't actually say anything. And uh, a lot of people are concerned by that. Eventually, he scribbles out in a sheet of paper that uh, before going into the glass box, um, he knew that he wouldn't be able to actually go a year without talking. So he had the nerves to his vocal cords severed. This episode is dark. (laughs) That's when he rips off his ascot and shows a, a big scar in his throat from the operation. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, so he's kind of screwed. It's like the opposite of an O head. It's like the opposite of a uh, gift to the Magi. Like I got you not $500,000. Well, I couldn't even meet you halfway. So I cut out my vocal cords. I permanently crippled myself in what is, you know, one of the, the most effective ways to communicate with other humans. And let's be honest, he's probably the universal age in Twilight Zone, which is 37. So he has like a, a good number of decades ahead of him. Yeah, so I'm assuming that that is probably why his wife wasn't uh, coming to see him. Because <laughs> think about it this way. Like, we talked about the fact oh, that he God. had to go home from the club and explain to his wife, hey, by the way, I'm going to live in this glass box for a week or oh, for a no. year. But he also had to explain, hey, I'm having my vocal cords severed because Keith, I know I'm not going to talk. Keith, this was overnight. It had to be a rush job. What if he? What if he made his wife do it? Oh, no. Okay. I didn't think of that. That's why she left him. And that's why it was such a such a sore subject when the colonel brought her up. Why do I always go to the darkest possible place in these episodes? <laughs> well, I think this one you could be forgiven for doing that. Mm. Uh I know that it had been a while since I'd seen this episode. Yeah. So like I I didn't know immediately what was gonna happen, and I thought we were going to have like a, a truly Twilight Zone-ish twist in that uh, he was going to not be able to talk anymore simply because he hadn't talked for a year and his vocal cords are paralyzed. Yeah. I, <laughs> or I he forgot be, or something like that. Yeah, he forgot, I, how. forgot how to talk, you know, so something like that, you know, like it turns out that if you just don't talk for a year, you will no longer be able to speak. And, and we didn't know that because no one had done it. Before. <laughs> it's the opposite of uh, learning how to ride a bike. Exactly. Yeah. I, I thought I thought that was going to happen, you know, because there's like, uh, you know, the uh, the episode, the masks, you know, where oh, their, yeah. faces, their faces do stick that way. Yes. 
Uh, so sort of the same idea. That that's what I thought was going to happen, and I think that would have been a little bit more Twilight Zone-ish if that had actually been. The yeah, thing. yeah. Serling or uh, you know the person who wrote this because I don't I don't think it actually was Serling. Um, whoever did it, you know, you can say whatever you want, Sean. This person went <laughs> to the dark side. You know, oh, it was Serling. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't you. It was Rod Serling. Who- <laughs> Things dark. <laughs> I mean, the fact that he like physically mutilated himself is is pretty edgy for 1961. And it, again, if you're going to do that, ask to see a cashier's check. Yeah, yeah. Let me see the the, the 25 cents before I chip off this bridge. Yeah, I that that's that's I I almost put this on Tennyson because he's the one who didn't ask to see the money. You know, I, I would have held out. I would have said, no, 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 no. You're, you're not going to act all offended. I need to see the money, or I'm not getting the box. No one comes out great. The current the colonel's a monster. Uh, uh, Doctor Smith can't broker a lasting peace between the two. Tennyson. <laughs> Makes the worst possible decision um, in front of him. And his wife is scarred for life because she had to uh, perform uh, amateur surgery uh, on a moment's notice. Yeah. I, now that you've brought up that possibility, I'm just I, I'm I'm OK with running with it. I'm assuming she's the one who did it. And that's why, you know, I figured she just wasn't talking to him because she's like, you're nuts. Why are you doing this? But but yeah, well, let's just add a layer onto it and say that she's the one who did it. It just makes sense. Yeah, I think so. Um so I, we, we kind of covered this already, but uh, uh, somebody offers you money to not speak for a year. Are you taking that bet? Yeah. I'm t- I'm, I mean, I'll even take the $500,000 in 2021 money. Yeah, me too. Although absolutely 100%, I'm going to need to see the $500,000 before I do it. And it's non-taxable. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, definitely. I'm not, I'm not sure how we'd work out the rules of that. <laughs> But we'd have to figure out a way to do it. Yeah, he'd have to send it on uh, like Venmo or something like that, or just straight cash. Mr. Jamie Tennyson, who almost won a bet, but who discovered somewhat belatedly that gambling can be a most unproductive pursuit, even with loaded dice marked cards, or as in his case, some severed vocal cords. For somewhere beyond him, a wheel was turned, and his number came up black 13. If you don't believe it, ask the croupier, the very special one who handles roulette. In the Twilight Zone.